0: Well, let me say welcome to you to First Methodist Mansfield, especially if this is your first time here with us. My name is David, and I serve as the directing pastor here. Uh, Pastor Mike, our senior pastor, and myself, we uh, went down to Austin on Thursday, and most of the weekend we spent together there uh, working with a church uh, just north of Austin, doing some consulting and some coaching with them. And right now, Mike is preaching in that church. So uh, I came back last night, got here about 5 o'clock for our 6 o'clock Saturday night service. Preaching uh, all of our services this weekend. So uh, excited to be with you this morning as we continue this journey that we've been on the last several weeks. We are in the third week of the season. Actually, it's the fourth week. Fourth week of the season of Lent. Uh, Lent is a six week season in the church calendar in which we walk with Jesus to the cross. We do so for the purpose of reflecting on the the sacrifice that, that Jesus gave on our behalf and the grace that has been made available for us. And we do all of that to prepare ourselves spiritually for the celebration of Easter. So we're heading somewhere. We're walking with Jesus to the Last Supper that He shared with His disciples. We'll do that in Holy Week on Thursday. We're we're walking with Jesus to the cross to mark the, uh, the moment of His crucifixion. We'll do that on Good Friday. And we're walking with Jesus uh, to, the, to the hope of resurrection, to Easter Sunday, uh, Easter weekend when we will celebrate that truth. And we're doing that this year in a really unique series, uh, Discovering the Holy Land. We are visiting the places where Jesus lived and he died and he, and he rose again. So, Mike and I just got back from a trip to the Holy Land. We've been sharing that journey with you. If you were here the first week, we went to the Jordan River, to the place where Jesus was baptized. The second week, we went to the wilderness area just outside Jericho by the Dead Sea, where Jesus spent time preparing for the start of his ministry, where he was tempted, where he fasted in preparation for that beginning. Last week, we went to the hillside that overlooks the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus' ministry began, where he shared the Sermon on the Mount that we find in Matthew 5. 6... And 7. And today what I want to do is I want to take you out onto the Sea of Galilee, to the place where Jesus calmed the storm. But if you have not been here any of the previous three weeks, I want you to go online and watch those messages because we're going to six different locations. As we move through the series, we'll go to a few more on Easter weekend. But I want you to have a sense of all the places that we're going to travel as we move through this season of Lent. And again, we, w- we walk with Jesus to the hope of resurrection. So uh, again, today we're going to be on the Sea of Galilee. I I want to read you up front before I show you the video of that, I want to read to you from Mark chapter 4 from this moment that we're going to focus on today in the life of Jesus. It says this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side, the other side is referring to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with them. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So it was about the fifth day of our trip when we left our, our hotel in Tiberias, walked down to the, or took the bus down to the, to the shore, uh, uh, got on a boat to, to make a similar journey that Jesus makes here in Mark chapter 4. I want to show you a video uh, of that trip that we took. And as we board this boat, preparing to cross the Sea of Galilee, there's a few things that I want to point out to you, uh, again, as you watch the video. The first thing is something that I didn't know until about halfway across the sea. Mike leaned over to me and he said, this group is really, really. Lucky. And I said, Well, why is that? And he said, Well, this is my fourth trip across the Sea of Galilee, and I've never been uh, out on a day like today. So, evidently, the first three trips that Mike took across the Sea of Galilee were more like the trip that we read about in Mark chapter 4 in his previous trips to the the Holy Land. But as you see there, it was a peaceful and calm and serene day. The water was like glass. It was just a beautiful, beautiful day. We, We paused there in the middle of the lake to read the scripture that I just shared with you, to spend a moment of reflection, to share some some time of worship uh, there on the Sea of Galilee. The other thing I want you to notice uh, in this video is that the entire Sea of Galilee is surrounded by mountains. So nothing in Israel is flat. It's absolutely nothing like Texas, okay? Everything is, is, is moving elevation. And if you look at the map, you'll find the Sea of Galilee, which is really just a lake, in the northern portion of the Holy Land. Waters from the Sea of Galilee empty into the Jordan River. They flow north to south, down to the southern part of the Holy Land. And they empty into the Dead Sea, the lowest uh, place on the entire earth. This is the valley that cuts through the middle of the Holy Land. And that valley is surrounded by mountains on both sides, including the area around the Sea of Galilee. Now, when we made it to the other side... Uh, of, of the sea, we came to a museum that houses one of the most significant finds from the area uh, in the Sea of Galilee. So in 1986, there was a drought in the area, and two brothers were on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee and found some wood sticking up out of the shore. Uh, after notifying the proper authorities, a 12-day archaeological dig, and seven years of preservation and restoration work, this is what they were able to share with the world. Uh, this is a boat that carbon dating uh, tells us goes back to the time of Jesus. It represents the type of boat that Jesus would have been on in this story that we read in Mark chapter 4. In fact, this could be the boat that Jesus rode on. We have no idea, but we know it goes back to that particular time period. After we left the museum, we got in the bus, made a very quick uh, trip to a, and stopped at a place that looked like just a nice little rest stop area. We unloaded the bus, and this is what we found at that next location. Go and go to that next picture. Again, the entire area is surrounded by mountains, but there are some valley passes that in the ancient times people would have used in order to enter the area around the Sea of Galilee. This just happens to be the valley pass that connects Nazareth, the home where Jesus grew up, to the area surrounding the Sea of Galilee. So what you're looking at right here is the highway that Jesus would have traveled on to come to Capernaum, where he came to live, where he met Peter and Andrew, who he called to be his first disciples. This is also the way in which wind would enter into the area surrounding the Sea of Galilee. So this is the way people came, but it's also the way that wind continues to come into the area uh, that is the Sea of Galilee. And as wind enters through these valleys, it creates currents, uh, jet streams, that stir up the waters of the Sea of Galilee. So again, you saw a picture of crystal clear, uh, totally peaceful, serene waters, waters like glass first thing in the morning. This was a video that I took from that uh, day at lunch, walked out from the place that we had lunch, and and this is um, is what I saw there. So again, you get a sense of how quickly the day can change and how the winds that that come around these mountains and enter through these valleys, they stir up the waters of the Sea of Galilee. And it is common in this area for in a very spontaneous, quick way, the waters to suddenly become very violent, the waves to become rather large uh, in just an instant because of the, the, the way that the landscape leads itself to that kind of thing. So we find Jesus and the disciples out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we may wonder, well, if it was going to storm, you know, why, why didn't they think about that? But, but what we realize uh, from visiting there is that it's, it's quite possible it wasn't a storm like we think of, this isn't a thunderstorm with, with thunder and lightning and rain and craziness, this is wind entering into the Sea of Galilee area, stirring up the waters, creating incredible waves in the middle of the night as Jesus is there with his disciples. Now, Jesus has gone over to the other side because for Jesus and his ministry, this was the back door. This was the way he escaped the crowds. He just got in a boat, and he'd go around to the other sea, the other part of the Sea of Galilee, and he'd reappear, and he would continue his ministry. there. They're there in the middle of the waters. And the winds have have come up, the waves have have increased. What the scriptures tell us is that the boat is nearly swamped. That's what we find out in verse 37, but we find out this curious detail in verse 38, that while this is happening, the disciples are holding on for dear life, Jesus is in the stern, for those non-nautical people, that's the back of the boat, and he is sleeping. Now some of you, that doesn't surprise you. Because you're a really heavy sleeper and a tornado could hit your house and you would still be sleeping there. So you may think, okay, that, that makes perfect sense to me. But some of you are thinking, wow, this is this is a little crazy. The waves have come up. The boat is being turned. It's almost swamped. And meanwhile, Jesus is just sawing logs back there. I mean, he's just as comfortable as can be, you know, feeling the waves and the motion, sleeping like a baby. And, of course, this was very, very concerning to the disciples who were there out on the Sea of Galilee, wondering if, if they're going to end up in the Sea of Galilee, and on this, on this boat ride with Jesus while Jesus is sleeping. So they wake him up. And when they wake him up, they say to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Do you not know what's going on, Jesus? I mean, I mean what are you doing back there? You're back there sleeping, and we're, we're holding on for dear life teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, in that boat that night was a man by the name of John. Uh, John survived this storm, as well as the other disciples. They didn't lose anybody there in the middle of the sea. In fact, what tradition tells us is that John lived to a very old age, uh, he, in, into old age in a way that none of the other disciples did. John became a leader in the early church. He also became, alongside Paul, one of the most prolific writers of the early church period. Much of his writing is preserved for us in the New Testament, including the Gospel of John, and then 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Three letters that he wrote from the community of Ephesus to other Christians throughout throughout the area. Later on in his life, after the story of Jesus' life was complete... The rest of the chapters were written, the the, the entry into Jerusalem that we will talk about next week, coming down the Mount of Olives, grieving over the sins of His people, offering Himself as a sacrifice, sharing the Last Supper, experiencing resurrection, after all of those chapters of Jesus' life were written. This is what John would say about the man who was sleeping in the boat in Mark chapter 4. He would say this, This is how God showed His love among us, John said. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And later on that same letter, he summarizes with this thought, that we love because God loved us. So that love that you feel that, that 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 longing that 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 you feel for those people that you love the most in your life, those people who you treasure more than anything else in life, those people who you know their value to you is greater than the value you would place on your own life. What John says is that that love does not originate in you. But that love has been given to you by God and the act which represents the love that God has, that God has given to you, is the act of God sending His Son into the world that we might live through Him. That, according to John, after the story was complete, that's who Jesus was. The the one who in Mark chapter 4 is sleeping in the back of the boat. John says, this guy, he has come. We have seen him. We have heard him. He he has come to give us the gift of life. And love has been received by the world because Jesus came. The one who in Mark chapter 4 is sleeping in the back of the boat in the middle of the story in the middle of your story and in the middle of my story we often ask ourselves we ask of God the same question the disciples ask God do you care do you really care I mean, because this is what I'm going through, God. This is, this is the season of life that I'm walking through. This is the challenge that I'm facing right now. And what I need to know right now, God, is do you really even care? Do you, do you know what I'm going through? Do you have a sense of the danger that I feel? Do you, do you have an understanding of the concern that I have for my child, my, my husband, my wife, my father? Do, do you know, God, what I'm going through? Do you know how difficult it is to to wake up and face this thing that I'm facing in my life? God, do you know? Because there are times in our lives where we have this sense that God may somehow be there, but He is somehow unaware of what we're going through. There are moments in life where we ourselves feel like God is, in fact, sleeping on the job. The waves are growing. The boat is being tossed. Life is not as we might want it to be. And there are moments in life where we ask ourselves the question, God, God, do you care? Do you know what I'm going through? Because I'm about to drown. I am, I am holding on for dear life and I don't know how much longer I can hold on. God, do you care? And, and if, you, if you take your Bible and you turn to the, to the center, you're going to find the book of Psalms, the ancient poetry and songs uh, of your Hebrew ancestors. And you know what questions you're going to hear over and over again from people of deep faith and conviction? You're going to hear questions like, God, do you care? Do you know what I'm going through? Do, do, do you have a sense of what my life is about right now? Do you know how much I need you? Do you know do you know how much I'm hurting God do you care Which I think raises another question for anyone who's here today who says, I'm a follower of Jesus. That's my life. That's what my whole life is about. I'm a disciple of Jesus. I believe in the one who has come to give us life. I believe that the love that I have in my life is love that originates in God, that has been given to me in Jesus. For anyone who says, Yeah, I believe that, our question that we need to wrestle with is Do we believe that God cares? Do we believe that? Do we believe that God has acted in human history in such a way to say, yes, I care. Do we believe that there is a God who hears the prayers and the cries for suffering, those questions that rise out of the human condition that we all share? Do we believe that God cares? And if we believe that God cares, what are we willing to do about it? If we believe that God cares, and that when there is a cry anywhere in the world for God to reach out and respond to the suffering and hurt that someone may be experiencing, if we believe that God cares, then what are we willing to do about it? So I told you we spent a few days working with a church just north of Austin. And I don't know if you've been to Austin recently but if you have, you know there are more people there than there used to be. They're coming like crazy. It's the fastest growing area of our state. Maybe one of the fastest growing areas in our entire nation. And we went there to go work with a church that averages 130 in worship and is in a building that seats 90 people. And when I say 90 people, I mean Easter Sunday, bring out the chairs, and just this week and this week only, you can sit on each other's laps. I mean, that's, that's the 90 people, Right? And we went to, to go visit with them about their strengths and their, and, and their challenges and what they might do to, to reach out to this community in which they're located, this mission field that is going absolutely crazy insane with growth. And you know, we heard some really great things from these people. We heard, we heard some great things from the leaders of this church. We heard people express a desire to, to reach out beyond the walls of their church, which is really good. I mean, there's there's some churches who just, quite frankly, they don't care. They just don't care. But we heard that. We heard a desire to reach out beyond the walls of their church. But you know, sprinkled among these things, we also heard some other things. We we heard, we heard things like, you know, we really we want to grow, but we don't want to get too big. I mean, we don't want to be like that church that's just got so many people. And, you know, if we could add about 100 people, that'd be pretty good. We'd feel comfortable if we could put, you know, let's add a service. that We need to respond to our community, but we don't want to lose our current culture. I mean, when you show up, everybody knows everybody's name, and and we're like a little family here, and and, and we just, we really like the small nature of it, and we love, we love, we love, we love, we love, we love this beautiful sanctuary that's over 100 years old, that just speaks to who we are, that seats 90 people in a community where there are 7,000 vacant lots waiting to be filled. Do you really care? Do you really care? Could it be we ask that God is asking you to respond to a different vision. Could it be that you need to stop, stop, stop talking about hundreds, and you need, to stop talk, you need to start talking about thousands? Could it be that God might call you in this mission field to a place of worship that fits more than 90 people? Because all around you are people who are crying out, God, do you care? There's a mom who goes to bed and says, God, do you care about my kid? Because I'm, I'm out of ideas. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid I'm losing my son, I'm losing my daughter. There's a, there's a husband who's, who, who's trying to figure out where, where life is taking him and what's happened to his marriage that used to be this, this thing that, that, that he treasured and somehow has become something else. There, there, there are families who are grieving the loss of loved ones. There, there are people who are crying out every single day, God, do you care? And is there a church who will be there to say, God says, yes, yes, yes. I care. I care. Now, it's easy from the outside looking in to, to offer those, those thoughts to, to a church and that, and that community. But what about for us? What about for us? Do we believe that God cares? And if we do, what are we willing to do about it? In three weeks, if you come to church here at 9.30, you will be all alone. There will be no one else here. There will be no sermon to hear. In fact, I want you to come at 9 o'clock. But I want you to come to the Mansfield ISD Center for the Performing Arts. And the reason that we're going to be there is because our desire is to shape Easter not around the members of our church community. Even though we hope and pray that you are blessed by Easter, we certainly feel that way. But we want to shape Easter around the thousands of people who we share life with every single day who are asking the question, Does God Care? So we're going to go somewhere that's maybe a little bit uncomfortable for us. It's not the the place of comfort and security that we are used to, because we believe that the greatest gift that we can give to this community is an answer to the question, does God care? It's the Easter story. It's the story of God who says, yes, yes, I care. Now, there'll be about 2,000 people here this weekend. And this is what I was thinking about as I was driving back from Austin yesterday, if every single person invites three people to easter six thousand people will receive a personal invitation to come and hear the story of a god who says yes i care and you know what the best thing about that is we will have a seat for every single one of them there'll be a seat for them there'll be a place where they can come and maybe hear an answer To a question that they have been asking for so very long. If we believe it, that this man who is sleeping in the back of the boat has the power to calm the storms and be present through all seasons of life, then brothers and sisters, what are we going to do about it? Let's pray. Jesus, we give you thanks for coming to express to us the love and grace that God has for our world. We thank you, Lord, for those seasons in life that we can look back on and now see how present and available you were to us. We remember, Lord, the way you carried us and comforted us, and met us in that time of need. And as we think about that, God, we know that there are others who may be walking through that right now. So give us the courage, Lord, to share the gift that we have received. And in turn, extend the blessing that you have poured out into our lives. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.